0: Thank you, choir and Kevin. Occasionally, someone will say to me, I wish I could work at the church. Everybody there gets along so well. They pray for each other, study the Bible together. They do Zumba together. I mean, things are not like that where I work. I wish I could work at the church. Well, I hate to break it to you, But just because one works at the church does not mean there is no conflict and there are no difficulties. For instance, you can be committed to the Lord and committed to do good, but that does not mean there is not conflict in doing it. For instance, there is the story in the Bible about the Apostle Paul. He was committed to the Lord. No one would disagree with that. He loved the Lord. He preached the Word. But there was always conflict in his ministry. For instance, when he was in Antioch, he preached the gospel of Christ. But they responded with jealousy. The Bible says in Acts 13, but when the Jews saw the crowds, in other words, there were a lot of people coming to hear Paul. Things never change. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. So when he was at Antioch, they were jealous. When he went to Iconium, they stirred up bitterness against him. The Bible says, but the Jews who disbelieved stirred the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. And then when he went to Lystra to preach the gospel there, they tried to kill him. The Bible says in Acts 14, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the multitude, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. The point that I'm making is that we might desire to do good, but there is always conflict and there is always opposition. Well, then you might say, well, if that is so, then why bother? If, if I try to do good, if I try to do right, but people treat me poorly, then why bother? So today I want to speak to you about the church doing good. We continue our study from the book of Acts, probably four or five more messages from this book. But take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse number 5. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From now on I shall go to the Gentiles." And he departed from there and went to the house of a a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now I want you to see three or four things with me as we look at this passage of Scripture. The first being, doing good is not immediately appreciated. Now every parent here knows that. Doing good is not immediately appreciated. Appreciated. For instance, there's the story of, of Moses' parents. Now, you, you know that Moses was born to Jewish parents. They were committed to doing good. They were committed to doing right because they were the people of God. But there was a decree that came down from Pharaoh concerning Jewish babies. In Exodus 1.22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying... Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile. All right, now here are the parents of Moses. They wanted to do good, they were the people of God, but they have governmental opposition. Can you imagine the struggle those parents must have gone through? If they were obedient to the decree of Pharaoh, then Moses was dead. If they disobeyed the decree of Pharaoh, Moses was alive, but then the family was dead. So here we see parents who wanted to do good. They were the people of God, but that was not immediately appreciated by the government. Well, our decisions today are not as dramatic, but they are no less challenging with us because there is so much pressure on parents, both from without and from within. Parents, I know that... Or at least I believe that that you really want to bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of God. I believe that. I believe that you want to bring your children up to walk with God, to love God, to know God, to be godly people. That is the desire of your heart. I believe that. But there's all this pressure that you have to deal with that does not appreciate your commitment to doing good. You see, there's pressure from society and society tells you, well, you know, you you have this child, but they're going to have to be like everyone else, look like everyone else, do what everyone else does. So you have to allow them to dress in all the latest styles, even though you might see them as being immoral, that they are to listen to the music that you might feel to be improper." That they are going to go to the places that you might not agree with. And and so you want to bring your child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You want them to grow up to be godly. But there's all this pressure that comes from society that does not appreciate your commitment. And then there's the pressure from the child. How many times, parents, have you heard, well, everybody else is going. Everybody else is doing it. And so there is this pressure that comes from the child. Even though you're committed to doing good, to doing right, there is all this pressure that you have to contend with. And then there's internal pressure. You know, am I, doing, am I making the right decision? You know, I know your kids don't know this, but we are not that certain about what we're doing, are we? I never was. I figured I'm, I'm messing this kid up. And so we're not sure. And so there is all this pressure that we have internally. If I do, what if my child gets upset with me? You know, parents are scared to death of their kids being upset with them. My parents never seem to spend a lot of time on that one. (laughs) But, you know, I I watch parents sometimes and I'm amazed if I'm not amused that they are so scared they're going to upset the child. I heard the story about this little boy. He'd been acting up and got in trouble. His dad said, all right, son. He said, you're going to eat dinner tonight. After you eat dinner, you're going to bed. You're not going to watch television. You're not going to do anything else. You're going straight to bed after dinner. So the family gathered around the dinner table, and when they did, the father called on the little boy to return thanks. The little boy bowed his head and said, Heavenly Father, thank you for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But, but see, we, we, are, we are concerned there's pressure that we feel internally that our child is going to be upset with us if we apply godly and scriptural standards to their life. There's also the pressure that my child might be excluded. If I, if I don't let them do these things, if I don't let them participate in these things then they're going to be excluded. And so we actually do things with our children with which we do not agree because we want them to be included. We want them to be a part. So we allow them sometimes, you know, they they skip choir practice, they skip church, they skip Awanas, they skip those things to go to ball games, Uh, you know, because all the other kids are going and after all, there's a potential college scholarship out there. Probably not, but nevertheless, we soothe ourselves in thinking that. So the the point is, as parents, you can say, I am committed or I want to do good as a parent. I want to bring my children up to love the Lord, but that is not necessarily appreciated immediately. As believers, we can be committed to the Lord, but that is not appreciated immediately either. I mean, it's okay to be religious. Don't, just don't get serious about it. You know, we hear that all the time from politicians. Politicians, I, I get aggravated again at them sometimes. But, you know, sometimes I say, well, you know, concerning this issue, personally, personally, I'm opposed to it. But my constituents support it, and so I'm here to represent my constituents. Well, only when it's convenient are they there to represent the constituent. because a lot of times they don't represent the views that I have. Here's the thing. We have pressure to be liked rather than to be truthful. And that's the danger of political correctness. It's making liars out of us, hypocrites out of us. Because we are under such pressure to be liked rather than to be truthful. Now, let me give you an example of Daniel. Daniel wanted to do good. He was committed to the Lord and wanted to do good. But there was a decree that came from the government. Darius issued a decree saying that no one was to pray except to him for a period of time. Now, what was Daniel going to do? Here is a struggle between his commitment to God and his government. What was he going to do? Was he going to be faithful to his God or was he going to be faithful to his government? The disciples faced a similar pressure. There was a threat that they, that had been issued. In Acts chapter 5 verse number 28, the authorities said, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. That was the order that came from the authorities. You can't teach anymore in this name. Now what were they going to do? Were they going to be faithful to God? Or were they going to be obedient to man? Now, ladies and gentlemen, to some extent, these things are very important to us because we are rapidly moving to that same scenario. A conflict between the order from the government and the order from the Word of God. And we have to make a decision as to what we are going to do. Would they yield to the pressure of the government? Would they be faithful to God? The Apostle Paul also here had to make a decision. I want you to look at verse number 6. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I shall go to the Gentiles. Now, here's the reality. Paul was sharing the gospel with them, but at this point he wanted to walk off. If that's what they want, fine. I'll go to the Gentiles. At this point there was a temptation to him that he was going to walk off. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we have this pressure. We want to do right, but it is not always or immediately appreciated. If you are committed to God, if you're committed to the word of God, if you're committed to the things of God, understand it is not immediately appreciated. But doing right ensures God's presence. When we are committed to the things of God, then we are insured of his presence, enabling us to do right. We go back to Daniel. The, the decree came from the government saying, you're not supposed to pray anymore, except to the king. Daniel was loyal to his God and he immediately prayed. He thought, you know, things are this bad, I better pray. And so he went to the Lord at his time of prayer As a result of that, he was put in the lion's den. But you know what? The Lord was there with him. He was in the lion's den, but God was with him. He was faithful. He was committed to being faithful to God. And God was with him there in the lion's den. there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar erected an idol and said, Everyone is to bow down to this idol. These boys refused to do so. They said, no, we only, we only bow down to one, and that is to Jehovah God. He is the only one to whom we bow. Well, as a result of that, they were putting in the, put in the uh, furnace. And whenever the king looked in the furnace, he said, no, let me, wait a minute. He said, I thought I put three guys in there. Who's the fourth one? Looks like the Son of God. Well, so that's very important to us. Because they were committed to God in the face of opposition, but the Lord was with them. Jesus did right, though there was a struggle. When Jesus was facing the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he struggled. He struggled with the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says that he sweat great drops of blood as he struggled. He said three times, Father, if there's another way for man to be saved rather than my dying for them, then let this cup pass from me. So there's this struggle that he goes through. But then he came to that commitment when he says, but... For this cause came out to this hour. This is the reason that I came. And he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. There was a struggle that he had to overcome. Paul had to make a decision. You see, he had gone to preach to these people, to witness to these people. They rejected it. His temptation was that he walk off from them, so he had to make a decision. In verse number 9, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid any longer. That is in the present tense, imperative and a negative command. It means do not keep on being afraid. Paul was struggling with fear here. Sometimes I don't think we realize that because we read about the people in the Bible and so forth and we think that it was easy for them, that they had no struggle. They did, the same struggles that you have. And he was struggling with fear as he was making this decision, but his fear was overcome. Look at verse number 10. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Jesus said, stop being afraid, Paul, for I am with you. And you know, that thing that's interesting to me, in and perhaps this is the, the meaning here, I am with you. You remember when Moses met with the Lord, and God called Moses to deliver the people, the Hebrew people, out of bondage? And Moses said, Lord, why, why should Pharaoh listen to me? Why should anyone listen to me? Who shall I say hath sent me? And God said, I am hath sent you. That is my name. I am hath sent you. Have you ever noticed the number of times in the New Testament that Jesus uses those two words, I am? I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light. I am the resurrection. And here he says to Paul, I am with you. I think that there is a connection there. That he is saying to him, Paul, I know that you're struggling. I know that there is some fear. But you understand that God is with you. Folks, we have to make decisions in the face of fear. It's not always easy. You've been called to be the people of God. It isn't easy. And we have to make decisions in the face of fear. What about the future? We don't know. I don't know what the future holds. In fact, it becomes increasingly frightening to me as I look and see the departure of our country from the values on which this country was established. What does the future hold? I don't know. What about our health issues? I don't know. What about your health? You don't know. What about your family? What what, what will they be? What will they do? Will they be faithful to the Lord? We don't know. But here is the encouraging thing about it is that his presence is with us when we're committed to his plan, to his will to alleviate the fears that we have. As we walk with him, his presence alleviates our fears. And his presence gives us a future. Well, how do we embrace it if God gives us a future? How do you embrace it? Well, first of all, we have to know his plan. You'll notice there in verse number 9b, he said, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. That was God's plan for him. God says, Paul, I have a plan for your life. What is it, Lord? Keep on speaking. Don't be afraid. You keep on speaking, doing what what you're supposed to do. The father had a plan for Jesus' life when he was on this earth. And Jesus knew it from the the very beginning. His first recorded words as a 12-year-old boy, Know ye not that I must be about my father's business? He said to his earthly parents, Do you not understand that God has a plan for my life and I must be about my father's business? There was a plan for his life. Ladies and gentlemen, God has a plan for your life. Oh, I wish you would understand that. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. How do you know it? It is revealed with each step of obedience. As the Lord gives you light for the next step, you step into that light in obedience. And as you step into that light in obedience, then he gives you the next step. But it is one step at a time. If you're looking for God to reveal it all to you, He probably is not going to. But it is one step of obedience at a time. As you take a step of obedience to the Lord, then He reveals the next step. But God gives us His plan that we might do it. Not just to know it, but that we might do it. That's not always easy. The Lord revealed his plan to Joseph, and uh, Joseph shared it with his brothers, his family. He said, you know, I had a dream last night. He said, in my dream, you were all bowing down to me. God had elevated me. God had exalted me, and you were all bowing down to me. Well, the brothers didn't particularly like that. So they said, well, you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to be bound down to you. And so they decided to sell him as a slave, which is what they did. And then Potiphar took Joseph and because he was so capable, he put him in charge of his entire house, everything that he owned, he put him in charge of it. And Potiphar's wife was sort of attracted to Joseph and so she made a proposition to him. Joseph refused. He said, no, that would be disobedient to God. But she told her husband and so he throws him back in jail. The point is that I want you to understand that It was not easy for Joseph following God's plan, but he never wavered. You read the story of Joseph. One of the things I like about it is that he had all of these conflicts, all of these obstacles along the way, but he never wavered. He was committed to God. Paul followed God's plan even to death, and from a Roman prison, he said, I fought a good fight kept the faith, finished my course. He was committed to God's plan, and he followed it. Jesus was committed to the plan of the Father and so from the cross he cried out, it is finished. He had completed the plan that the Father had given him to do. Folks, don't ever, don't ever be sidetracked from God's plan for your life. There will be a lot of temptation that will come to you. God, God has a plan for your life. You will know his plan one step at a time as you walk in the light that he reveals to you. But he reveals his plan to you that you might do it. And Satan is going to try to get you off track. Don't ever become sidetracked from God's plan for your life. I'm so grateful. And Linda and I have talked about it so many times. Prayed about it so many times. I'm so grateful. Though this was not my plan for my life. It was God's plan. And I'm so grateful That the Lord gave us enough faith to follow the plan that he had for us. Doing right ensures God's presence. And doing right engages his protection. Look at verse number 10 again. For I'm with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. I have many people in this city. You see, when we do right, we follow God's plan. He protects us to fulfill it. Now here he makes three commitments I want you to see. The Lord makes three commitments to Paul. One, he said, I am with you. That is the promise of the Lord. He promises his presence. Now, he gave Moses his plan. Moses was hesitant because he said, Lord, who am I? I'm I'm inadequate to do what you're calling me to do. He was hesitant to say yes to God. But how did God assure him? In Exodus 3, 12, certainly I will be with you. Moses, don't worry, I will be with you. Moses said, Lord, how am I going to do what you're calling on me to do? I'm not adequate for the task. And God said, Moses, I'll be with you. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. He said, Lord, I can't do it. He said, I am young and inexperienced. And he also was hesitant. How did God assure him? Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid of them for I am with you. To deliver you, declares the Lord. Now, what I want you to understand is if when God has a plan for your life, he is with you in the fulfillment of that plan. He's with you. That's a commitment he makes. Number two, he said, I have many people. In other words, you are not alone. God surrounds us with his people. Paul had Aquila and Priscilla and Timothy and Titus and Barnabas and, and Apollos and all these people, the people of God who surrounded him. He said, you're not alone. That's important because you understand that Elijah became depressed because he thought that he was all alone. And God said to him, I have 7,000 that you know not of. He said, Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. And you are not alone as you walk with God. When high school students graduate, they go into college, there's always a certain apprehension. Because you've been brought up under trip and trip, and Chris have tried to teach you and encourage you and these teachers and so forth, but you think, well when I get to college, it's going to be different. You know maybe you're going to go somewhere and Trip is not there, and Chris is not there, and your teachers are not there, and it 's going to be different. I don't know anyone i 'm not sure how it's going to turn out. Let me say this to you: when you go to college, i don 't care where you go. God's going to have his people there now. It's whether or not you look for them. You choose the crowd that you're going to get into, but God's going to have his people there. That's what he says here. He says, I have many people. And then he says, and no man will harm you in verse number 11. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul was there for a year and six months unharmed. The Lord can take care of his children. He can take care of you. He can take care of you. Doing right engages his protection, and doing right never quits. Paul was ready to quit. That's the deal here in verse number 6. He was ready to quit. He said, you don't deserve it. He said, if you you don't want to follow it, he said, I'm going to the Gentiles. He was ready to quit. Two people here. Galio, verse number 12. I want you to look at this. But when Galio was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Brought him before Galio, verse 16. And he drove them away from the from the judgment seat. He refused to hear them. Gallio would not hear the charges that were brought against Paul. Davis Dictionary of the Bible says, he was the brother of the Roman philosopher Seneca and like him was put to death by the emperor Nero. That was Gallio. Another guy, Sosthenes, verse 17. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat and Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Sosthenes replaced Crispus as the head of the synagogue, Christmas became a Christian, Sosthenes replaced him. When Sosthenes was the head, he was the one who led in the attack on Paul. That went badly, and so they turned on him, but he was the one who led in the attack Sosthenes. That's not the end of the story. First Corinthians chapter one, verse number one. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother, he became a Christian. We never quit doing right because God can handle our circumstances. Let me conclude. Every one of us needs to commit ourselves to doing right, understanding that that is not immediately appreciated. If you're waiting for someone to pat you on the back for doing right, you're probably going to wait a while. It is not immediately appreciated. But doing right ensures God's presence. He will be with you to fulfill his plan. And it engages his protection. He will protect you to perform his will. Thus we never quit, we never give up. There were two boys came up to a man's house who was shoveling snow. He was shoveling his driveway, and one of the boys said to him, shovel your sidewalk, mister, for $2. And the man said, "Can't you see I'm already shoveling my sidewalk? He said, yes, sir. But that's where most of our business comes from. Someone's half through, and they're ready to quit. Folks, oftentimes we are halfway there tempted to quit some of you are almost where God wants you to be but you're tempted to quit 1 Corinthians 15 says therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. We never give up and we never quit. To be honest with you, there are times when I wonder, Lord, is it worth it? There seems to be such opposition and there seems to be so little result. Is it worth it? That has nothing to do with me. But my faithfulness and commitment to him has everything to do with me. And the same thing is true with you. You might be ready to throw in the towel today. You might be ready to quit today. You might be ready to give up today. And the message from this passage of scripture is that we never quit. As the people of God, the salt and the light in this world, we never quit. We remain faithful to the Lord. And may you, Our Father in God, we come to a time as we examine our lives and as your Holy Spirit reveals what you see, we extend an invitation in your name. And I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling. I pray for those who have never come to know Christ, that today they would. For those who are struggling in their Christian walk, Father, that today it would be a time of, of recommitment. Lord, that they are going to walk with you regardless. I pray in Jesus' name, amen just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. My friend, if you're here without Christ today, I pray that you'll commit your life to Him. What a wonderful time to do that. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. And if you're a believer tempted to quit, don't do it. The Lord will see you through. Stand with me, please, as they sing, You come, I'll preach as you do.